Thank you, Pastor Matt. What an introduction. Tim and I are really excited about Tuesday night. If you looked at your schedule, we're going to be leading a prayer meeting, the Henderson House of Prayer. We're going to be establishing it here on Tuesday night. It's our kickoff where we're going to be doing it monthly. And I'll be sharing some more about that during our message. But once again, my name is Bob Perry. It is a real honor and a privilege to be here, to be preaching In this pulpit, to be standing here, Pastor Aaron is preaching in one of the churches that he helped found many years ago in uh, the Dallas area that's just exploding, and he's down there preaching in the pulpit. I believe he's preaching five times this weekend, so he's pretty excited about imparting and teaching and instructing that church, but he sends his love, and it's a real honor to be, you know, Pastor Aaron takes it real serious who communicates, and this, this house has some great communicators not only your pastor, his wife, Beth, and I look at Debbie, I look at Aaron as well, and Zoe, you know, what a, what a name, Zoe, life of God, Pastor Matt's wife. And uh, so once again, it's a joy to be here. My wife and I have been married 35 years. She preached to me when I was 17 years old. We were both 17, and when I gave my life to Christ, and I've been on a journey ever since to long for the Lord. I grew up in a devout Catholic family, had two nuns and a priest in my family. And ever since then, I've been saying, Lord, what about prayer? And what about witness? What about worship? And what about work? So this morning, I'm going to be sharing a bit about developing the fiery passion for the Lord. Uh, The title of my message is on hunger. Uh, I've preached around the world and in different places. And uh, pastor to church. I've done so many different things. I was a football coach, was a basketball coach. Um, I've been a pastor, a youth pastor, a children's pastor, an international student director. For 12 years, I lived in the Eastern Europe, former Soviet Union planting churches, doing a lot with the prayer movement. I've been a, an insurance broker. Uh, I've done different startup businesses. It's, I don't know why the Lord's had me do so many different things in my life compared to my dad, 30 years in the military, 20 years in, you know, same job, same desk, same commute. But for some reason, I've had a lot of different experiences. But my burning quest is to know God through prayer, to know God through worship, to know God through fasting. It's, it's what burns in my heart, no matter what I'm doing as a job, no matter what I'm doing as a hobby, no matter what I'm doing as a vocation. One of, the, the, one of my favorite hobbies that I get to do is to lead prayer every year for the NCAA at the Final Four, the Men's Basketball Championship. Many of the coaches, not all, but many of the coaches are devout Christians. And the, and the, the, the organizational leaders for the men's college basketball are all former retired Hall of Fame coaches, and they're all radical, spirit-filled believers. So for nine years, I've led 40 hours of corporate prayer in the Division I uh, Coaches Hotel there. And it's very powerful, all the different things. We do outreaches, and uh, about 1,800 coaches come to the evangelistic prayer breakfast and hear the gospel preached. And so uh, that's one of my favorite things, praying with all these guys that make me feel like a midget. I'm 6'1". And they're like seven feet, seven feet two. It's walking through the lobby. You, you feel like a, a little shrimp uh, there. But I love praying. I love talking about prayer in any place, whether it's the marketplace, whether it's the halls of government, whether it's on a football field or a basketball court or in the church. And so this morning, 
I'm going to be sharing how to develop hunger in your life. Because when you look at prayer and when you look at worship, if you're going to stay steady long term, if you're going to run the long distance race, the foundation's got to be hunger there. So let's open with a word of prayer and ask that your ears will be open and your heart will be willing. And uh, the Lord will take my words today and, and breathe life on it. So Holy Spirit, we just invite your help today. Would you take these words and breathe upon it and let it just be fruitful in each one of our hearts. Ignite us in you. Unite us with your heart. And Lord, mobilize us for your purposes. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Well, hunger is what I'm going to be talking about today. And it's one of my favorite subjects. And uh, everybody's interested in prayer, even this little boy and this little dog. Look at this. You know what I mean? On this next slide here. Um, even, even it's funny, uh, that picture there. We have prayer meetings and we've done it for the years I've come off the mission field and moved to Franklin, Tennessee. For about nine years, we have prayer in our neighborhood in the mornings. And, and it's a bunch of guys and a few women that come. And we just worship for an hour. We just worship and pray for an hour. And they have a shih tzu, a little dog, probably 13 pounds. And it always gets in the middle. And, and it looks like the way it's sitting or kneeling, it looks like it's praying. So we call Gizmo the prayer dog. But there is a passion in our heart to know the Lord. You see it in all parts of life. You see it in our president. You see whether it's a Republican or Democrat, they say things like, we will be praying for you. You see, hear it in crisis and you hear it in good times. And so I want to share with you about how we can develop this prayer heart for God. One of the great quotes is by E.M. Bounds. And E.M. Bounds uh, lived here in the 1800s. He was a great pastor of the Methodist church, the fiery Methodist church that was established by the circuit riders that really Nashville was built on. And E.M. Bounds was one of the reasons, when you look at our history, of why Nashville was the buckle of the Bible belt. Also why many denominational headquarters and publishing houses were here. And his strength, besides pastoring and preaching, was prayer. He lived a great life of daily prayer, corporate prayer, and he wrote many books on prayer. If you've never read his books on prayer, I encourage you to read them uh, there. But one of his great quotes was this, four things let us ever keep in mind. God hears prayer, God heeds prayer, God answers prayer, and God delivers by prayer. The great thing about prayer is whether you're doing well or not doing well, the Father loves to respond. The Father loves to answer. When I look at my life, it seemed like in the early part of my life, there was a lot of favor on my life. Played small college football, maybe not big college football, but small college football. I came to know the Lord in a much greater measure when I was in college through guys preaching to me, and I kept growing. And then God gave me a job, and I was a school teacher. And then the Lord just kept opening all kinds of doors that it seemed like there was a lot of favor. Then when the walls of the Soviet Union began to come down, I, I said to my wife, we need to move. If there's any time for us to help a, a people, let's move. And so we moved and we started moving in 89, 90, 91, took about 350 different 
types of people to the former Soviet Union. We took NBA players. We took NHL players, National Hockey League. That was great, the hockey guys, especially in the, in the Soviet Union. We took NFL players. Man, that was awesome, some big NFL guys. We took doctors. We took lawyers. We took businessmen. We took artists trying to rebuild the Soviet atheist culture. And uh, the Lord really blessed it and was given a lot of favor. And, and I noticed in my life, just favor, favor, favor. Came back here nine years ago. And for whatever reason, it's been very difficult. Uh, you would think it would be, being in, in this area, it would be easy to establish prayer. But it's just been really challenging. We've had some real health issues in our family. We've had some relational issues with some of our extended members of our family. We've had some financial issues. We've had some... Um, emotional health issues. Man, it's been tough. It's been difficult. It's been one where we sometimes would put a big question mark. I don't know if you've ever gone through a season where things didn't work out as planned. Not just for you, but it seemed like every member in your family was like, wow, um, we're like striking out, so to speak. And, uh, but it caused us to draw closer to the Lord. Even though prayers weren't immediately answered, even though circumstances didn't change. The, the interesting thing about that is we pressed into the Lord, we noticed that bondages began to break off of our lives of what people thought, of what was so important about that thing or this thing. And so I encourage you, no matter what season, you're in in your life, whether it's a season of blessing and peace and prosperity, or whether it's a season of difficulty and hardship, no matter what season we're in, the Lord's wanting to do a greater work, a supernatural work of friendship and relationship with us. And that brings me to my next quote, David Brainerd, one of the, uh, he was a missionary in the 1700s, especially to the Native American Indians. His diary, many of the great reformers said it was his diary that ignited him in a great measure. Um, he was in New England area, but in his later part of his years, he was in the Chattanooga area. And he quoted this. I mean, he penned this. Oh, one hour with God infinitely exceeds all the pleasures and delights of this lower world. God used this man to help awaken America in the first great awakening in the 1720s, 1730s, that was really foundation for our nation. Even the second great awakening that Charles Finney and others were used to help bring justice against the ills of slavery in the 1850s. It created a fire in people's hearts that they couldn't just wink. They had to Stand up for some things. Many of those guys said it was David Brainerd's diary that inspired them to live their lives for eternal significance. So I pray that the Lord takes my words here and inspires you to live with greater heart of eternity. Well, next slide. I, I have a hobby, and one of my hobbies is studying prayer. I've traveled to over 50 nations, studying how Christians pray. It's one of my favorite hobbies. I mean, I've been in a prayer meeting in Nigeria where there were over a million men. It was a million men praying. So all night long, they prayed. Fire, radical passion, lifting their hands, worshiping, sweating, jumping. I, I, there was no way you could go to sleep in that prayer meeting. There was such passion. 
among those Nigerians. Then I've been in a prayer meeting above the Arctic Circle in Norway. And uh, there, were, there were charismatic Lutheran. And they started to do this and smile. And they, they said, we are the free Lutherans. Man, that was challenging. That was an all-night prayer meeting like that. I was like, oh God, let me not fall asleep. I don't want to be the first American to fall asleep that they make fun of in Norway. But one thing I've noticed is that the Lord likes all forms of worship and prayer. He looks at the heart. He really does. And so this is where I came up with this quote just by observing. The 1990s will be remembered as the one that the church began to pray. When I say the church, people begin to mobilize in prayer. This last decade will be remembered for worship. I mean, some of you that are my age, it's hard to believe like last decade how much music that was on Christian radio was worship compared to other generations. Well, our present decade will be known for the restoration of David's tabernacle. You say, David's tabernacle, what's that? What's well, the combination of worship and prayers as a ministry unto the Lord? If some of you have been kind of in the worship prayer movement for a while, in the 70s, when it was beginning to be taught for the first time, when charismatic churches began to come forth out of the Catholic church and the Lutheran churches and uh, the Episcopal churches, and people were longing to know about worship, there was great teaching on the tabernacle of David, on even the details of it. And then the 80s, people were saying, the spirit of the tabernacle of David. And so the tabernacle of David was a temple that David established of night and day, day and night worship and prayer that went nonstop unto the Lord. It was ministry of worship and prayer unto the Lord. So it's Solomon did it. And when you look throughout church history, one of the secret weapons for God to bring blessing is when prayer and worship increases, God seems to respond to that. Maybe angels respond. Maybe heaven responds. But there's something unique about it. Well, in our generation, the Lord is doing the same thing. And that's what we're going to be doing Tuesday night between 7.30 and 9. The last nine years when I came off the mission field, I live in Franklin, we intentionally, deliberately partnered with different parts of the city. So we have each week prayer meetings in Franklin. We have each week, prayer meetings in Brentwood. Each week, we have prayer meetings on Music Row. Each week, we have prayer meetings on 12th South. Each week, we have prayer meetings in Nolansville. Each week, we have worship prayer meetings in Spring Hill, in Bellevue, in Murfreesboro, Clarksville. And we've been waiting. Lord, who are the people? Who are the people we're supposed to partner with? And it was last December that Aaron connected I mean, Tim connected me with Aaron. And uh, so you, through your pastor, we've been praying, meeting together, talking on the phone, and asking the Lord, Lord, what is your timing to establish a gathering that begins once a month here that we can invite other believers to come together and worship and pray. So this coming Tuesday night at 7.30 is kind of a pre-launch. It's a soft launch. We're not really like promoting it, but it's more for us for this church of Indian Lakes just to get started the next, and we're going to be doing it once a month, September, October, November, and to see, how, it's okay, I don't need that, to see how the Lord uses us and to pray and to see how he ignites. 
We did the same thing in Franklin. We took baby steps there. And now we're seeing gatherings of a couple hundred people come together. We just had one last month in First Methodist Church, church that's 214 years old. Ian Bounds was the pastor. And it was powerful. All the different believers from different churches came together. I love what the, the rector, that, which is like the pastor of First Methodist, he said, this is a slice of heaven. That was a bit charismatic. People were lifting their hands, but they weren't afraid of it. They said, we don't really do that in our church of 3,000 members, but we've all traveled to other parts of the world, and we see that what's taking place is an explosive growth of worship and prayer. We welcome it. So God's doing something very unique, and we're so excited about this area that has a great history, and we're glad we get to part with you. So what is on the heart of Jesus. You might say, what is on God's heart? I think it's a real important question. I think one of our prayers should be, God, what is on your heart? What are you thinking about? What is on your mind today? What troubles you? What bothers you? I think that should be our prayer, don't you? I mean, we're his sons, we're his daughters. We're partnering with him. We're his disciples. So one of our prayers should be, God, the Father, what are you thinking about today? What are you wanting to do in our life, in our community? And so we're so thankful. The Lord's doing so many things like his, he's concerned about the poor. We're so glad that he's emphasizing that. He's concerned about single families and single mothers, single fathers. We're so glad there's emphasis on that. We're also so glad that the Lord's stirring a great fire among the younger generation to see the whole human trafficking stopped. We're so glad for that. That's exciting. It's powerful. Some of my family members are involved with that. But when we look at history... We look at the scriptures and we look at the need. We look at the crisis that we're in. We can really see that one of the things that's on Jesus's heart that he's beginning to do and on his measure is to establish a house of prayer. Jesus said, my house. Jesus said this, my house. Jesus said this, that my house, his house would be a house of prayer. He quoted Isaiah. It's Isaiah 56, verse 7 there. Now, that word prayer is an interesting concept. In Greek and in Hebrew, it is a prayer that has music to it. It has soul to it. It has rhythm to it. It has movement to it. So it's not just, there's nothing wrong with this. But it's not just like four people praying in a group, in a circle. What we call conversational prayer. It's prayer in a community of worship that's moving our heart. It's igniting fiery love in our heart for God. It's elevating us in faith to believe. So what God's doing is building communities that gather together, not just in crisis, not just in need, but to be there day in and day out to be establishing. And so we invite you to be part of it. Now, we know that this was so much on Jesus's heart that all four evangelists who wrote the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, recorded that what Jesus said, that he would have a house of prayer. In Matthew 21, in Mark 11, in Luke 19, and in John chapter 2, the authors said, wow, he's burning with fire and passion to see his community 
be a community of prayer. And that's why I'm so excited that Pastor Aaron and Pastor Matt were taking baby steps to see Hendersonville be part of what God's doing in the citywide vision. Our goal is to have prayer and worship in Music City every day. And we believe that part of ours here at Hendersonville is going to be one of the Tuesdays a month. And I believe we can participate in that. So that's, a, that's powerful to me. Now, when I look at business, when I look at sports teams, you know, it's, it's fascinating how different sports teams win the championship. Who would have ever thought, if you followed basketball, who would have ever thought Louisville would have won the final? Who would have ever thought last December that the Baltimore Ravens, when they lost two or three games in a row, would have won the Super Bowl? If any of you follow athletics, it's all about getting hot at the right time. It's all about momentum. You know the same thing in the business world. How important it is to be at the right place at the right time and for God to breathe life with wisdom on how to... So momentum is crucial. So this is one of my quotes that I like to see about the momentum of how the kingdom of God wants to take place in this generation about unity. The foundation of the next momentum swing, I'm talking about kingdom momentum swing, is a posture of humility and hunger. A posture of humility and hunger. So hunger teams with humility. Humility also teams with hunger. I remember a few years ago hearing some men that I deeply respect say this, that the currency, the currency of heaven is hunger and humility. And if any of you have ever traveled before in other countries, you realize you've got to have the currency of that nation to be able to purchase something. Well, for us in this modern day where our nation is being shaken, where we seem to be in perpetual crisis, that, that one of the secret ingredients of sur surviving and living in, in godly success and godly purpose is the attitude of humility and hunger. I believe it pleases the Lord here. One of the reasons I say that is it was about nine years ago, one of the Christian leaders to the body of Christ, Bill Johnson, came to the greater Nashville area and dedicated Psalm 63. And he said, I encourage you to pray Psalm 63 and to sing Psalm 63. Uh, in between services, one of the men came up to me and said in Hendersonville, he was in a prayer group in 2004, 2005, and almost every day they would pray Psalm 63. They would declare it for one hour and proclaim it. I think it's pretty powerful. I know that, that this past December, so it would have been December 2012, when Bill Johnson got up to speak, it was a gathering, he comes to this region, usually every first weekend in December, runs a large church in Reading, is really known for the presence and power and signs and wonders. He says, I can see it and feel it, that the water level is increasing. The hunger level is increasing in this region. I think Wednesday night, when I came in here Wednesday night and saw a lot of young people here in this sanctuary, in the center here, I thought, wow, that is a picture of hunger increasing. It's not just great leadership. Thank you for Matt's leadership. But it's something as well that God's putting a hunger in young people's hearts. 
So Psalm 63, I just want to share one verse out of Psalm 63, because at the end of our service tonight, I'm going to, this morning, I'm going to end a few minutes early because I want to pray for you. I believe that something supernatural happens when we pray. I believe that my greatest call on the planet is when I pray. There's a, there's a great uh, Christian leader in Kansas City. His name's Mike Bickle. And uh, he runs a house of prayer in Kansas City that's prayed nonstop worship and prayer over 14 years. They just celebrated 14 years of nonstop worship and prayer. He has the second largest staff on the planet in one location. The, the, the Pope has the largest staff. In the Vatican, there's 5,000. But Mike Bickle has over 2,000 staff in Kansas City that are praying night and day and day and night. It's the second largest staff in one location. And I tell my children that you can listen to Mike Bickle preach. You can listen to him lead. But when he prays, that is his gifting and his calling. And so I feel the same thing in my life. I can talk about prayer. I can talk about being a Christian. But I want to, I believe that something supernatural can happen when we meet with God in prayer. So we're going to take a few minutes. I'm not going to have you come forward. We're just going to have you pray right there where you're sitting. I'll probably ask you to stand and we'll worship a little bit and pray. And we're going to ask God that he does some supernatural things in your life. We're going to ask God to do some supernatural things in your family. We're going to ask God to do some supernatural things in your finances. We're going to ask God to do some supernatural things in your relationships. God responds when his people cry out and pray. Well, Psalm 63, I believe, is the secret formula if you're going to stay long-term praying. Because the posture of David, who built the tabernacle of David, was one of hunger and thirst. Psalm 63, verse 1. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you. In a dry and weary land where there's no water. Something happens when we ask for this prayer about hunger and thirst. I remember I was a school teacher in a, in a church. I mean, I was a school teacher in public school, but I was attending a church and I was about Matt's age. And uh, I remember there was a fiery evangelist who functioned as a missionary. And uh, he was saying, how many of you, if you want to respond to the altar call to give your life 100% to God and, and, to, and to be a missionary for the Lord, come forward. I remember I came forward. I probably ran forward. I remember he asked us to kneel down. And when I, it's really kind of funny. As I kneeled down, I, like, I got incredible hunger. I mean, it was like, wow, it's like a hunger. I just felt this hunger. It was, it was October 1979. I just felt this hunger. And I remember saying, Lord, what's going on? I was like, I could, I, all of a sudden, I, here I was at the altar praying. I kept thinking of pizza. I mean, the only thing I wanted to do was eat. I'm thinking, wow, that's odd. And I remember, I said, Lord, what is this? I just, in a little, I'm at the prayer, at the altar, praying. And I felt this thought, Bob, I want you to hunger for me no matter what you're doing with your life. 
He said, would you be, if your stomach tells you you are hungry, would you be willing to ask me that I'm hungry for more of you? So no matter what I've done, good times, bad times, I've tried to stay steady, to say, Lord, I'm hungry for more of you. And that's what I'm wanting to impart to you. More than just the disciplines of prayer, more than just being a good churchgoer, I want to impart to you what happened to me 30-something years ago and has never waned is a hunger to know God face to face where the veil is torn down, where I have a passion to be his best friend. All, everything else is strangely dim compared to this. So here's some things I wanna, I'm gonna pray for, for you. Number one is a hunger to know God, a hunger that you'll know him all the days of your life. That's gonna be my prayer for you. I think that's why you're here. You wouldn't be at church Sunday morning if you didn't have a hunger to know him. And I'm gonna pray that the Lord ignites that hunger. He puts fuel on that hunger. Second thing I'm gonna pray for is a hunger for his presence. We need his presence in his life. We need his Holy Spirit in his life. No matter what you do, you need his anointing. You might call it different as a coach or as a school teacher or as a business leader or a, a pilot for Delta or serving as an administrative assistant. You need his divine favor on your life. That's what presence is. Presence is wisdom, understanding, knowledge, discernment. It's not just a good feeling. It's his power of his presence that gives you the supernatural favor to help lead, guide, solve solutions, stay persevering. So I'm going to ask for his presence, which, which, like I said, is not as much of an emotion. It's the attributes of God flowing through you with the wisdom and timing of the Lord. The third thing I'm going to pray for, and this is really beat strongly on my heart, is a hunger for his power. A hunger for his power. We need his power in our lives. We need God's supernatural help in our lives. So many times when things don't work out, we give up. So many times we get afraid and discouraged and just give up on the dream so many times that, that, that the desires of our heart fail and we just quit and we just throw in the towel and we put maintenance mode instead of contending, instead of fighting, instead of pressing for the breakthrough in our lives. Well, there's four things that I think many of us kind of are battling with, either in our life or our family member or our friends, healing. When I say healing, it's healing of the body, yes. But there's many people I know that need healing in the mind. There's many people I know that need healing in their emotions. There's many people in my family, my extended family, that need healing in their soul. They're hurt. They're wounded. There's walls. They react. And so when I think of healing... It's not just physical healing. As important as that is, I'm talking about for the power to break the yokes and set the captives free. Second thing is the power to save. A lot of times 
because circumstances don't work out. We give up praying for that family member, for that spouse, for that brother, that sister, for that child, for our parent, our grandparents. And the Lord has put us in families for a divine purpose that he wants us to pray for breakthrough, that they'll come to know the Lord and serve his purposes in this generation. He gives us divine assignments in our neighborhood, in our workplace. Sometimes it looks like we're going backwards at work instead of forwards. But God wants to bring salvation. He wants to bring healing. He wants to turn that person's heart and open them back up to the Lord once again. Um, there's a very famous college basketball coach. Very famous. Makes at least $7 million. Coaches for one of the big four. Big five teams. And, uh, and he would, grew up in a devout Christian family. But when he was working as a younger man in a Christian school, he got hurt, offended by the religious system of this Christian university. And so a few years ago, um, when he, be, well, it was more than a few years ago, maybe 10 years ago when he became head coach of one of the powerful college basketball teams, he was really resistant to Christian Christianity on his team. His team, for whatever reason, always had somebody in the starting five that was on fire for the Lord. I mean, nine years ago, eight years ago, seven years ago. Some of them were All-Americans. Some of them were first-round draft picks. But they always burned with the Lord, some of his players. Two years ago, it was three years ago, his team was in the Final Four. And his team had a grassroots revival. Half the cheerleaders gave their life to the Lord. Over half the players gave their heart to the Lord, started prayer meetings. About one-third of the parents got on fire. One-third of the parents of the players got on fire for the Lord. They began to pray for their coach, that the Lord would touch his heart. And this year at the Final Four in Atlanta, he came into the prayer meeting and shared how he repented of his attitude and now has invited Christian leadership and chaplains to mentor his team. Not just speak, but to mentor his players, to disciple his players. I have no doubt it was because the year before when we were in New Orleans at the Final Four, we had a number of people praying for us because we knew the battle was going to be challenging there in New Orleans. And we had a number of people praying for us. And when we were praying for this coach, we felt a supernatural faith to believe that God was going to begin to turn his heart. God was going to begin to turn his heart. It was the year later and the year eight later that we saw fruit in his life. So what I'm trying to say is that God wants to birth belief in your heart that someone's been hard and resistant toward the gospel can turn again and welcome the gospel in their lives. Can you say amen to that? You know, you know what I'm saying. There's people that are like stiff arm you and we're believing. And so you're in their lives, not by accident, not just so you can be grieved, but so you can be stirred to pray for them. The third one I'm believing for is reconciliation. We all have family, friends that need to be reconciled to God's purpose, that need to be reconciled relationally. So when we're praying for healing and breakthrough, we're trusting the Lord for supernatural power to change and to blow up those walls. 
If he can do it for the walls of Jericho, why can't he do it among your family members? Why can't he do it at your work? If he could destroy that fortified fortress in Joshua chapter 6, where those walls came tumbling down, he can do it in the people's lives that you're around. And the fourth one is restoration, healing, breakthrough for restoration. Some of you, the enemy has stolen way too much from you. The Bible says that Satan is a thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus came to give life and it more abundantly. And some of us have just developed a culture of letting the devil win in our lives. The devil just put you guys in neutral. And I'm believing today, when we pray this morning, that something's going to be ignited in you that's going to release faith again to believe the dreams, the prophecies, the promises in your life. God wants to restore confidence and faith that God is more than able to work on your behalf. It's not over. He can turn things around. So that's the third thing. We're going to hunger for his power. And the fourth one, and the last one, and we might not have too much time on this, but on Tuesday nights we will, is hunger for justice from King Jesus. We're in a real crisis as a nation. And I'm not just talking about Syria. I'm just saying we're in a real, real crisis. And it's not based on Congress. You just look at the moral change in our nation just in the last few years. It's stunning what has taken place. Just look uh, at just the gay agenda. Just look at what's happened to the sacrament of marriage. It was God ordained it. Natural order was between male and female. And now whether it's television, whether it's sports, whether it's media, whether it's our schools. And so our country, right before our eyes, especially some of the young people are seeing it right in their lives. They're seeing rules change. This past uh, couple of weeks, we've started these gatherings on Sunday night. It's called TAG, called The Awareness Group. We just meet in Franklin. So on Sunday night, it's a, for you guys, it would be way too long of a drive, but it's an hour lecture. That's all we do. It's not church, it's not worship, it's not prayer. We're just calling people that live in the southern part of the city. If you're concerned about the city, come. And so two weeks ago when we kicked it off, we had Dr. Veda King, uh, Martin Luther King's, Dr. King's niece, uh, the late Dr. King's niece, speak. And she spoke on racism and abortion and how the demonic plan of stealing life through abortion. So we, that was two weeks ago. Last Sunday, we had Dr. Michael Brown. And we had, I think, maybe 350 people and of course, it was Dr. King's niece, you know, 50-year anniversary of Dr. Martin Luther King's speech in Washington, D.C. So it, it caused a great stir, and it was great. Last week, we had Dr. Michael Brown, and he's a Messianic Jewish believer there. And one of his specialties, he's written 20 books, okay, published all over the place. But his 21st book was on the sacrament of marriage and how the gay agenda is to silence and push the church into the corner. He tells the story that he couldn't find any publishing houses publish that book. Some of the big Christian publishing houses that are Christians and conservative said, if we publish that book, they will bring us down and bankrupt us. 
Wow. Talk about Goliath right in front of our face. So he ended up having to publish his own book. So it was interesting. That gathering last Sunday night, we had a couple hundred. And uh, we were really surprised by how many young people were there. Let's say there were 200 people in the room. And Dr. Michael Brown said, how many of you are under the age of 25? Almost half the room raised their hands. And we were at, he said, well, why are you here? They said, we're confused at this whole thing of marriage. They said, why are we confused? They said, our president says one thing. The media says the same thing. Everybody's telling the same thing. Well, how many of you know on our watch, on our watch, things have changed. The, the, the boundary lines have changed. And so when we are, one of the reasons that God has wanted to ignite the prayer movement is not because we want to be political. That's not our issue. Our, our purpose is we want to cry out for the soul of the United States, the soul, the heartbeat of America to be awakened once again. To be awakened to, to the, what is on God's heart and God's purpose and, and, and protect us from judgment because it seems like we're crumbling from within just by the moral fiber of our nation. What is the answer? The answer in the Old Testament, the answer in the New Testament, and the answer throughout history is if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from your wicked ways. It says, then God will hear from heaven. He'll forgive our sin and heal our land. And I think if there's anything we've seen, if you're my age, that it really, um, politics doesn't solve the problem. I remember in the 80s, the early 80s, when we were contending on college campuses and we wanted President Reagan to be the reformer. Hey, it didn't change the country. I remember being at the inauguration of President Obama there. And uh, I really wanted his first one in 2009. As powerful as his speech was, it didn't change America. This, the, the solution, the, the remedy, the prescription that God has for us is believers gathering together in faith praying together and worshiping together. And so that's part of our purpose of us gathering together, not only today when we pray, but even on Tuesday nights and even in the future, even if you can't be here, we understand schedules and work and ball games and things like that. But God's wanting to awaken us to cry out. Well, Isaiah said it this way, rend the heavens and come down. Isaiah 64, he was saying, oh God, rend the heavens, awaken us, which is another phrase he said in Isaiah 52, was awaken us again, oh Lord. We need to be awakened. We know the church has had awakenings. We know that the church has scheduled revival meetings, conferences, but he's wanting to put us in a lifestyle of pursuing his face and being alive in him. So let me give you my prayer focus that I'm going to pray for you in just a minute. Prayer focus number one. So simple, but we miss it. It's a hunger for Jesus. We really want a hunger for him. I know it's so simple, but that's who we really want to know in a greater measure. We want a hunger to know him face to face. 
We really long to be his friend. That is our whole purpose as sons and daughters. We are called to sit in heavenly places with him and have a relationship with him. Not just being doers, like as important as character is, but it's a relationship with him. Second prayer focus is breakthrough. We're going to ask the Lord for breakthrough in your life. Jesus is the God of breakthrough. He's the God that changes situation. The, second, the third thing and the last thing I'm going to pray for is the release of the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit in our lives in a greater measure. And I wrote these kind of like five manifestations of the Holy Spirit. It's fire, wind, water, oil, and wine. We see all of these in the scripture and especially the New Testament as well. The fire, the consuming fire of the Lord, his burning fiery love for you and me. It says in Revelation chapter one that his eyes burn with fiery love, the love of a bridegroom for his bride. I shared this story um, this morning. Was I did a wedding a few weeks ago on Labor Day weekend. It was an outdoor wedding. Outdoor weddings are always a bit iffy with the weather, you know? And uh, it was getting ready to storm. It was getting ready, you know, to be the wind, you could feel it, and so forth. So we're outdoors when the father of the bride and the bride started to walk down the aisle. The bridegroom, his name was Spencer, was so excited that he, he, he couldn't wait, even for the father you know what I mean? To say, my mother and I do. He couldn't wait. And he, and he ended up like running toward her like halfway down the aisle. I mean, this is crazy. I thought, Spencer, what are you doing? I mean, I'm very good family friends to his family. And uh, the father, he was a former military colonel in the Air Force, said, son, it's not your time yet. I said, Spencer, get back here. I said, we're not ready yet. He said, man, I'm ready. I'm ready. And so the bridegroom has that type of love for us, that, he, that he's ready for the bride, which is the church. So we're going to ask for the fire. We're going to ask for the wind of refreshing. We know in Acts chapter 2, the wind of God blew through the church, the first church meeting. We want God's refreshing presence in our life. We want the water. Water cleanses us, cleans us, fills us gives us a fresh new start. It ignites us. Many of us know when we're thirsty and tired and we drink some water, it's like, wow, it awakens us. The oil, the oil of God represents, we know in the Old Testament, they anointed with you with oil. We know that church history is always anointed with oil. Oil represents the seal of God. It represents the favor of God. It represents the blessing of God. It represents the provision of God. And then wine, in Acts chapter 2, and Joel chapter 2, they were filled with the wine of the Holy Spirit. Joy in their lives. His fiery love and joy and peace in their lives. So my simple prayer for you, and we're going to pray, and I, I love the musicians to come up now. Um, our prayer is, Jesus, we hunger to know you more. We need a breakthrough Release your fire, wind, water, oil, and wine in us. Would you mind standing with me, please? 
right where you're, right there at your seat. I'm going to pray for you. Musicians are going to worship a little bit. The communion table of the Lord is open. So for some some of you during this time, um, you might want to rededicate your life to serve him with all your heart. And as you partake of the bread and drink of the cup, you might say, Lord, I do this in remembrance of you. Release fire in my heart. Let your presence take place in my life. For some of you, you might just enjoy just standing where you're at. But feel free to use the table of the Lord as a marker in your life of his presence. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say a short prayer. Then they're going to lead us in a little bit of worship. And then I'm going to come back and pray a breakthrough prayer for our lives. Lord, we come together this morning asking for more of your presence in our lives. More of your power in our lives. More of your spirit in us. We really do want to fulfill your words, Jesus. When you said, blessed, happy are those who hunger and thirst. That was the Sermon of the Mount, the Beatitudes. So we pray for hunger. Now you might want to just put your hand on your stomach. Don't feel like you need to. But I pray for each one of us in this room. No matter what our age in God, no matter what our age in our natural body, no matter how much knowledge we know about you or whether we're just brand new, I pray that there's hunger in our heart for you. I pray that we're thirsty to know you more. Pray like it says in Psalms 42, that a deer pants for water, so our soul longs for you. Lord, we long to know you more. We desire to know you face to face. Remove the barriers. Remove the wall. Remove the veil. For we desire to know you. Deep calls to deep. That we may walk in continual union with you. We hunger for you more.